Good morning, everyone. Great to see you here today across town. Today is Veterans Day. You know, one of the things about I didn't, wasn't aware of, but do you all know that only 0.4%, 0.4, not, not even a full percent of our population is in the military? Uh, and then, out of our population, only 7% of our population was in the military. And I'm just amazed about how many great things get done through and in this, this incredible country as a result of veterans. So if, I, if you're a veteran here, could I just get you to stay? Whoa, those are the lights there. I'll never get them to stand up now. That's, <laughs> can I get you veterans to stand up just for a second? Let us just kind of cheer for you. There you go. There you go. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Man, I, I, I love being a veteran. Um, I, whenever there's like a Navy movie, I, I still kind of get into it. Like I've actually talked to recruiters about, will you take me? You know, I want to get back in the, in the game and all. There's a new Navy movie called, um, <laughs> is everybody seeing that? Okay, I, I'm just making sure that I haven't aged beyond my years. That I, uh, there's this new Navy movie out called Hunter Killer. Oh, man, it's got a wicked awesome sub in it. and um, I mean, it's just incredible movie. And so when I go to movies that have Navy things, even if it's like the movie Battleship that had aliens in it, but it involved the U.S. Navy, I'll kind of get all dressed up. I'll wear this shirt. I'll put my Army boots on. I'll have my, you know, um, uh, petty officer hat on with a little emblem on, and I'll walk in there, and I'll look at people as you were, as you were, Put down that popcorn. You know, I mean, I'll be just like in mode. Susan gets a little embarrassed by it, but it's just something about this incredible country and, and the awesome people that have been a part of it. So um, I thank you very much for all your service. Today is another day as well. Today is National Orphan Day in America. We have a representative from the Bear Foundation in the back. Now, I don't have a script to say what I'm about to say, so please forgive me if I don't say this all the right way. Um, there's a lot of talk about this caravan of people that is coming towards the United States, and, and a lot of us have opinions about what that means, and we all have this idea about what Mr. Trump should do, what will he do, and, 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 and we've been really vocal about being pro or against it. But one of the things that the Bear Foundation has helped me realize is that we already have a caravan in the United States. And it's a caravan of, of children in foster care and in orphanages around this country. And you know, I may be a pro-lifer, and I may have a stand on abortion, but if that stand does not compel me to get involved somehow to help those who are having children, then, my, then it's just rhetoric. And if you have a deep opinion about this caravan situation and how it should be resolved, you may not actually get involved with this particular situation, but there is a caravan that's here today that you can be a part of. Statistics have told us that if every church in America, just church, if every church would support one family to foster care one child, not everybody in the church doing foster care, but if we rally around one couple that wanted to foster care or adopt and we would help them with that process, if every church would do it in America, there would be no children in foster care in this country. None. There would be none. Um, 
So we're not talking about if everybody does their part. We're just saying if there's just, if every church will just do one part. So I'm going to go on a limb here, and I haven't met with uh, the elders on this, but if you have a desire to adopt or to do foster care, and finances or support has been the thing that's been keeping you from doing it, Crosstown will, will join with you and to take this dare to help the caravan of children who are not in a home. So if you're interested in, in doing that, please go see the representative from the Bear Foundation and talk to me. And what we'll do, I mean, because we all can get involved. Maybe, maybe you're beyond the years of maybe having a, a teenager in your house or a young child in your house, but you'd be able to help financially. Maybe you'd be able to help with doctor appointments or maybe pick, picking up the child from school and helping the mom and dad navigate some of the difficulties. There's a way that every one of us can get involved beyond our opinion. And so let me invite you to just pray about it, think about it, uh, about the caravan of people that need help in our country right now. So I think I kind of said that okay. So I, don't, I hope nobody was offended and all that. But any ethic that is not held into a practical lifestyle is just rhetoric. And God wants us to be better than that. So um, we've been looking at joy for a lot of different reasons. Um, and we've looked at it a lot of different ways. Because it's such a powerful thing that works in our lives. And today's going to be no different. Um, we've used words out of the, the realm of science, talking about how things are built uh, robust or resiliency. And then last week we talked about the Renaissance period. We talked about how in art, a linear perspective drawing and having vanishing points began to add depth to our understanding of what God's plan is for our life. Well, today we're going to move on to a, another R word. Um, I was a little slow to the party when it, it came to recycling. Um, my wife has always been into it. She's just a great human being. She was born a great human being, and that's, it's kind of tiresome, but she is a great human being. And so um, I used to make fun of her. You know, because we had little blue little containers and all that stuff. Because she, we would eat kidney beans or whatever it is that came out of the can. And, and so after the meal was over, she's washing cans. You know, I'm like, what the heck are you doing? You know, and she's like, no, I'm, I'm doing the recycling. I said, you're doing the recycling? I said, we got a big, beautiful green can over there where you can drop kick anything into that. She goes, no, no, no those don't go in there. That's... We have a recycle thing here, and, and what we do is we wash these things. And, and, and so I'm just thinking, there's some stinking bureaucrat that is just laughing his butt off, thinking about he sold this whole thing about recycling, and everybody's washing their, their trash and putting it into this blue can. And, you know, because I had heard reports that there were some cities that didn't even recycle. So all they do is just take the blue can, and they dumped it into green cans, and then they threw it all in the trash. And I'm thinking... Honey, you're just wasting your time. But then I began to realize it really is a great thing. Because, I mean, recycling our used stuff and, and finding new usages for it, that's got to be smart. And, and then giving value to things that were normally considered trash. Uh, I, I don't know, how many people here you recycle? Anybody? Anybody? Okay, we got some recyclers here. You're, you're good human beings. Um, uh, 
So let me ask you this. When you recycle, do you kind of know what you're supposed to go in the trash can? Let me just say, my wife is amazing, but she is a little judgy when it comes to the trash cans, all right? Because we'll be driving out of our neighborhood, and she'll see that flapper on that blue thing because there's too much recycling in it, and she'll see something hanging out of there like a dead body, and she'll be like... That's not supposed to go in the red in the recycle. You're supposed to put your husband in the green cycle, the green one, you know. And I'll be like, "You're looking at people." She goes, "They're just not doing it right, Paul. I need to, I need to tell them." And it's like, "No, don't you dare do that." But let me ask you: If you recycle, do you know what stuff gets recycled that gets the great and glorious opportunity to be delivered to the blue can? Can you imagine all the trash fields? You know, blue, blue, blue. I want to go to the blue can. I mean, so, so let me see if you can identify it. If you've got your phones, you've, if you've got our app. Um, you can open up my sermon notes here. There's this list of things that could go into recycling, and I want you to see if you guys know what it is. If you don't have our app, you can download it from any of the app stores. Type in Crosstown right now, and then download it, and you'll have my notes immediately. So let's take a look at some of the things that could or maybe are not supposed to go into the recycling. And so I want to see if you, you can find what's supposed to be in there or not. So we got water bottles. That's a pretty easy one. Soda bottles, styrofoam packaging, or food containers. Um, you've got paper egg cartons. What are they supposed to be in there? Um, how about milk jugs, uh, clothing and shoes, liquid containers, books and textbooks? Hmm. Jars and tubs, like for yogurt, margarine, or you know, other stuff. Then, oh, empty aerosol cans. Um, detergent and all-purpose cleaner bottles and aluminum foils and trays. Now, there are three things in there in that list that are not supposed to be in the recycle thing. So, so you recycling um, people, uh, anybody want to shout out one that you think is not supposed to be in the recycling? It's not supposed to go blue. Anybody? It's okay. If you get... Well, Styrofoam. Okay, so let's take styrofoam off the list. Okay, so styrofoam is not supposed to be in the blue can. Anybody want to yell out another one? We won't judge if The aerosol cans. You know what? Who said that? Let me see. You're proud, aren't you? You're wrong. <laughs> so here's the thing that it's kind of an, exis it's an existential thing. Because when it has air in it, it's an aerosol can. When all the aerosol is out, it's what? An empty can. So as long as it has all the stuff out of it, it's no longer uh, qualified. So I was surprised about that one, too. I thought for sure that was. Um, well, the other ones are this. Aluminum foil in trays. See, I got that confused with the microwave. So I was kind of messing that up. And then the other one is clothing and shoes. If you're putting your laundry in a blue bin, it's not going to get done. It's not supposed to go in there. You know, so we have to sort through what we think has value and what can be used and what can't be used. And sometimes when we look at life and some of the experiences that we have, I think we do the same kind of um, process. We look at some of our failures and our experiences, and we decide, well, God can use this. God can't use this. That some of our events that go on in our lives... Um, I really can see how God's working with that. And then there are other events that we just decide they're, they're green trash cans. Nobody can work with them at all. And Paul begins to teach us in, in Philippians about this, how 
God recycles things, how God can use things, that there's more of life that's in the blue can, that God takes some of the things of our lives that we think nobody can do anything with, and that he begins to do this recycling process with our experiences. Let me, let me read to you one of the times that it happens in Philippians 1.12. Paul talking to this Philippian church, and then he's, he's in chains, he's been arrested, and he knows he's going to die, he's been shackled to a guard. Um, he says, I want you to know, brothers, who he's writing the letter to, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, he doesn't write a lot about what's happened, but we know it's prison and, and being whipped, and, and so there's some torture involved, and there's some loneliness involved, and not being fed, and some you know, um, health issues and all that go on with being in a dungeon. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. That it's gone from being just bad crap that happens in life in the green can, and that God has really taken it and he's recycled it. Is that what we normally would think was a horrible experience? He says, I'm really seeing good happen as a result of this event in my, in my life. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. It's like, Wow. He's saying that even the guys that I've been shackled to, the Imperial Guard, even they know what this is about now. It's even in their minds, it's been recycled. They, they now see my experience as something different. And he continues and he says, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word of God without fear. He says, all this bad stuff has happened in my life, and as a result of it, other people have courage to face adversity and to declare the word of God. So he's looking at this. He's like, God has recycled my life. What, what has been bad in my life, things that I normally would look at at face value, that, that, that's trash. He says, no, God's using these things. He's determined that my, my life has value. And Paul let God use his imprisonment to help others face courage, I mean, to face fear in their lives. And so when you look at this, why is this important? And why was it important to me? Because this is something that God really spoke into my life. The point is this, is that with God, your life experiences are not wasted. Even if we don't see it, our experiences are valuable to God and can be utilized by God in our own personal lives and in the lives of other people. See, for some of us, we don't see that. A lot of us are afraid of the future because we can't find any good in the things that we fear. We all have like a little stack, you know, we used to collect albums, now we collect fears. And so we all have a stack of maybe things that we were afraid of the dreaded things that could happen to our lives. And a lot of those things are on this stack of dread, what could happen to America, what could happen to my marriage, what could happen to my children, what could happen to my body. We have this stack of dread because we've determined those things can't be recycled. An event, an automobile accident, cancer, the loss of a child, the crimes that take place in our country, the victimizations that occur to each and every one of us. There is no way that anything good can happen from them. 
And what that produces, once we create a stack, that's called a stack of dread. Because we can't see that God could do anything good out of a divorce or out of, you know, the things that we experience at the hands of other people or even the things that we do wrong ourselves. There's just no way. That stack, nothing can be done with it. Those are total green cans. Nobody can do anything with them. And I think it's, it isn't really because nothing can be found good in them, but that we really don't think God can do anything good with them. So if you're somebody that's given to, to anxiety and dread, it may be because you've determined that whatever it is that you're dreading, even God can't do anything with it. That there is, there's absolutely nothing. There's no way that this event or this situation or this failure could ever find its way into a blue can. Paul didn't waste events. Paul didn't see any events wasted in his life. He didn't even believe God wasted events. He didn't even think that. He didn't think things just happened and crap happened and, and, and it sucked, you know? It's, that's not how we talked about events. That's not how, not how we looked at them. You know, the story of Joseph, it's kind of an ancient story, and I won't go into the whole background of it, but, but Joseph is this guy who was sold into slavery by his brothers. Really bad experience. This slavery, in part, leads him to being falsely accused. Bad experience. Then as a result of this false accusation, he's arrested and he's thrown into jail. It's like, wow, he's getting a stack of things that are just not going in the blue can. It's like, this is just a waste of life. I can't believe God is doing this with my life. And the stack continues to get higher and higher. As a result of it, he's separated from his family for decades but then God begins the process of recycling the experiences. The time in jail gives him an opportunity to speak wisdom into some random guy's personal life. He has an opportunity to speak something wise to this person. That wisdom then is utilized to put Joseph in a position to where he can counsel people of, of influence. So that experience begins to move him to another place. That influences him to be able to save his family and his brothers who sold him into slavery. So we see a beginning process where God begins the recycling of all these bad events, and God begins to use them in a way to bring out something good. So later on in Joseph's life, his brothers finally arrive to him, and they know they're going to have to interface with him, and they're going to... Uh, talk with him and they they know he's done that they have done something wrong and because they know they've done something wrong they don't have it in their mind that there's any way any good could come from this see their failure and their betrayals on this stack that we know we did something wrong and we're going to suffer for what we've done wrong and that's the only thing that comes out of bad experiences is suffering so when they approach Joseph and they're talking to him, they have no idea that anything good, that, that Joseph is now going to take them and he's going to throw them in the green can because they're just garbage. And there's nothing can be done with people of garbage. 
But Joseph doesn't see that way. Joseph sees the recycling of God through even negative experiences. So when they're standing there before Joseph, Joseph surprises them. In Genesis 50, 20, talking to his brothers, he said, as for you, you meant it for evil against me. I think it's very important that Joseph said that because there is no way that I'm trying to turn cancer into good. There's no way I'm trying to turn your victimization into good, that it was good and you just didn't see it. I'm not trying to turn an automobile accident into good. And so he's very clear. He says, I want you to know what you did was wrong. It was trash. It wasn't right. He said, and you meant it for wrong. But he said, but that's not the only perspective I have about events. But God has meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. See, joy is having this kind of vision about life experiences. Life experiences past, present, and speculative. See, most of us, our fears are wrapped in the speculation of the future. And most of the time, that speculation of the future has a future that we have already believed that God can't do anything good with it. I see it happen all the time. It happens even in my own life. But joy is having this perspective that though it may be meant for evil, that, that God could do something with this. So Paul wrote in Romans 8.28, he said this, For we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Do we? I love the way he writes that for us, as if we know it. I, I think you should kind of, in your Bible, it says, We know, put a parenthesis, set a parenthesis, and put a question mark in there. Like, do you? I mean, propositionally, I know it. Yeah, that's a biblical truth, and I know that's right. But do I really know that? Paul knew it. Because when you look at his situation and the experiences and all of them being negative, he seems to be like rejoicing about stuff that we would just put in a pile and we would just call it unrecyclable green can events. But Paul says, no, 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 I know something. And you need to know something. I know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things. Things that should go in the green can. He said all of it. And he's not saying, no, not just everything but the styrofoam. Everything but the aluminum. Everything but the, the clothes and, and sneakers. No, he said, everything that ends up to be trash in our lives, he goes, I believe God can work in all things and that everything about your life has the ability to be recycled with the goodness and the love and the mercy of God. He said, I know that, but, but do we? You know, and so when we walk after God, God begins to recycle our experiences for good. So i got to be honest with you here because I want everybody to love this message, but I've got to give you the bad news about this message. Because if you're not walking with God, it doesn't say anything about what happens with your experiences. Because God will respect your autonomy. If you want your life on your terms, God will say, well then you get your experiences on your terms. Good luck with those. If you, if you don't want me involved, that's fine, but you know, you're going to have to do your own sorting and you're going to have to do your own recycling 
in life. And that's not that God's being ugly or he's being mean, but there's something about this promise that happened. That's why, you know, when atheists look at things or skeptics look at things, they're like, well, how can you say you believe in a loving God when he allowed this to happen to you? It's like, no, I would say, yeah, I get it. You're right, this looks like crap. I know you're looking at this, it's like, how can God be good if so much evil is on the planet? I understand that, but I know something else. Because all you see is all the stuff that goes in the green can. I see all the stuff that would have gone in the green can that God begins to shape and use in a really good way in my life and the life of other people. But some of us are Christian, but we still think as if there's just some stuff God can't do. Too many of us allow our experiences to give birth to bitterness, fear, and disappointment. You know, we just, we just allow it to happen to us. You know, when Moses was in the desert with the Jews, they came to a place where they needed water. Uh, and they came to a place, but the water was undrinkable. And I want you to see the progress, uh, process that they go through. When they have an experience that doesn't go the way that they thought it was going to go. There was disappointment involved. There was despair involved. There was pain involved. And I want you to see the progression of where they're heading. Exodus 15, 22 tells us this. Then Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea, and they moved out into the desert of Shur. They traveled into the desert for three days without finding any water. And when they came to the oasis of Marah, the water was too bitter to drink, so they called the place Marah, which means bitter. Now, one thing that we normally miss is that this is written retrospectively. When they arrived at the oasis, it wasn't called Mara. You know, it wasn't like, hey, let's go to Mara. Let's find some bitter water. And no, they thought they were going to get really good water at the oasis. I mean, isn't that what oasis kind of creates an expectation of that? But when they didn't get what they expected, they immediately began to rename where they were. And when we don't think God can do anything with our lives or our experiences or our failures or the things that we're going through, we will begin to rename them and they will become bitter waters. We will begin to live in bitterness. Have you ever come to a place of bitter waters where you've been disappointed by God, where you, your experiences have been disappointing? Then the people complained and they turned against Moses. What are we going to do? What are we going to drink, they demanded. Because bitter places can turn our hearts against God. When it doesn't work out the way that we thought, if we, if we don't have this perspective of God leading us, then everything that disappoints us or everything that we're afraid of begins to bitter the waters for us. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood, and Moses threw it into the wa- in the water, and, he made, and this made the water good to drink. Now, don't miss it for a second. Because in the Hebrew, this could have also been translated, he found a tree and put it into the waters. Because God, through the cross, the wood of the cross, the tree of the cross of Christ, allowed him son, him, his son to go into the bitter waters to change the bitterness of the waters of our lives so that we may have streams of living water flowing in our innermost being. God has restored the waters of life. 
Does that mean there, that all of our experiences are good? Absolutely not. But when we are in Christ, even the most bitter waters in our lives can be transformed into something that we can live and be nourished by and we can drink and we can live. That's why, you know, I look at the Apostle Paul. And Paul's writing, you know, I know that God causes all things. I'm like, Paul, wake up. Dude, you're in prison. You're being tortured. They're going to kill you. What are you talking about, my friend? What are you, what's wrong with you, Paul? And he looks back at me and he says, Paul, no. I know, Paul. Relax. I appreciate you being worried about me, but I know something. I know that God doesn't waste people's lives. It may look like waste to you. But I know that my life is precious to God. And if we call out to God, he can change the waters that are too hard for us to drink into good water. And Paul was confident about this. And that kept him from becoming bitter. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, listen to Paul talk. He says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. In sufficiency in all things. That includes bad things. That includes painful things. He says that in all things and at all times, he said, I am convinced that there is a sufficiency that God gives us so that we will abound in every good work, even if it's cancer even if it's rejection, even if it's death, no matter what. He said, in all things and all times, he said, I believe a good work can abound through the sufficiency of God. So I think God wants us to look at our stack, the stack of dread that, I don't know, what if this happens? And I'm here to tell you, I don't believe in a Christianity that avoids bad events. You know, I wish it, I mean, I tried it. That, you know, I'm not supposed to get sick, I'm not supposed to, I'm supposed to be rich, I'm supposed to be incredibly successful, because after all, if you're a child of God, all those things should be yours. It's like, well, if those were the highest things that a human Christian could experience, and if that would be the highest level of what it is to be human and be a child of God, then that would have been true, unless there's something even better. All sufficiency in the abounding grace of God in all times and in all situations, that trumps a perfect world. You know, that's even better than the avoidance Christianity that we really kind of want. And Paul says, I just, I just believe in the sufficiency of God, that he's just going to give us the strength to be able to walk through these things. See, when you have confidence that God doesn't waste the experiences of your life, then there is no experience you dread. I mean, just think about your dread stack. What do you dread? What would be the worst thing and the thing that you think about, I'm not asking you to imagine. A word. I'm talking about the thing you actually dread. Is that when you begin to have confidence in God that he doesn't waste your life experiences, then that pile begins to shrink, shrink and begin to go away. And this, is, this question I'm asking you really did come directly out of my heart because it, it really has always been a contention between me and God. Do you believe God loves you and will not waste your life? 
this whole sermon was inspired by a human being that, that helped me become who I am and whose life was seemed to have disappeared so quickly from us. And I have to be honest with you, I just, it just created this sense in me that, God, you just waste life. I mean, it just looks stupid from my vantage point. You know, it's like really good, saved, faithful people just seem to disappear. And I began to realize, I believe God loves me, but I'm afraid that he's going to waste me. I don't mean waste you like, waste you, but I'm, I'm talking about, God, do you know what my pain's doing? Do you, are you just going like, to get me like, really close to being awesome, and then all of a sudden I get hit by a semi? You know, I mean, is, is that what you do? Do you just waste people's lives? And maybe I'm speaking out loud for you because you just don't dare to say this, but maybe you feel wasted. Can I say this? Do not confuse the providence of God as an excuse for him to be cruel. Because I know some of you stoic ones are here and you're going to power your way through it. Well, God's God and he can do what God wants to do. And I have no right to, well, good, I hope that answer works for you, okay? <laughs> but don't confuse the providence of God, God being in control and God being in charge and God being all-powerful as an excuse for him to be cruel to you. I'm about to tell you something that you may, I'm going to tell you something God can't do. Or I... God can only do what is consistent with who God is. That's all he can do. Say, wait a minute, you're limiting God. You're saying God can't do something. Um, I'm telling you that God can't do anything that is not consistent with who he is. So all we got to do is figure out who is he and what is he. And it comes to us from John. God is love. So I was like, okay. So, what God's going to do in cancer experiences, that if I trust him, there will be love. That in loss, there will be love. In disappointment, there will be love. Absolutely. There was, there was no future that Paul was afraid of because there was no future that he believed he was going to be wasted in. He didn't, believe any, he didn't believe anything. He didn't believe his failures, his, his pain, his torture. He didn't believe any of it was wasted. Now, it was all painful, but it, it's not wasted. This, I'm not getting flushed. I'm not being thrown into a green can. Paul wasn't afraid of the future because there wasn't a future where Paul felt he was being wasted. Listen to this, even when he felt he was suffering loss, he felt that even that had purpose. Philippians chapter two, verse 14. Talking to his people, he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. He's telling them, be careful about drinking bitter waters. Be careful about it. He says, even if I am being poured out, as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Like what, Paul? I mean, you're imprisoned, 
You're chained up, you're tortured, and you're going to be executed. Yet you're describing your experiences as a sacrificial offering being poured out for the benefit of others and to the glory of God? All I got to tell you, folks, is I got to get there. You know, I I think we all got to get there. Because he was seeing something. He, he, He saw all of his experience, present, past, and future. He's like, God doesn't waste a drop of human blood. God does not waste one human experience that we have if we are trusting and walking with him in relationship with him that that all things work together for good and that we have all sufficiency in those things in all times and in all things, God can use them. I don't know about you, but that gave hope to me when I walked through my divorce 33 years ago. When I went through all that pain, it's like, well, I'm on the trash heap now. I'll never be a pastor because no church will use me. I guess I'll never be able to do this or that or I'm going to lose my daughter. And I'll never have a relationship with my daughter and she'll be scarred for the rest of her life because of the stupidity and the sin that me and her mom committed in our relationship. And that's it. I'm done. And God said, "Uh, no, you're not. No, if you'll just turn your trash over to me, We'll start washing the recycle, and we'll begin to make something new out of it. You know, maybe my life would have been over when I got arrested and busted for dealing marijuana, and it's like, well, you're done, dude. You know, you paid for your girlfriend to have an abortion. You know, you've you've sold drugs. You've committed robbery. You've done all these things. Paul, the best you can hope is just to get in heaven. That's that's the best we're going to do for you. And God said, not if you turn your trash over to me. Because what you're putting in the green can, I can wash it and I can use it. I can use it in your life and I can use it in the life of other people. That's why I'm not afraid to tell you all those things I just did. It's because I believe every human experience, whether done against us or done by us, that if we trust God with our lives, we will discover he doesn't waste anyone. So as we move into expressions, do you feel thrown away? Do you just feel like, yeah, yeah, but dude, I can't tell you what I've done. I can't tell you what I'm doing right now, what I struggle with, my addiction, or whatever it is. You're not. You're not thrown away. That if you'll commit your life to Christ and to God, that he can give you hope right where you are. I am, Paul said he was the chief of all sinners. And I can stand here saying, you know, I'm not, I'm not in the game of trying to one-up you, but I can tell you I'm here because I'm probably the chief of all sinners in this place. And you say, well, what gives you the right to stand here? Who, who made you the preacher? God. God did. He said, because I want to show everybody a, a guy whose life was a piece of trash that I turned into something new. And I'm not even ashamed of my trash anymore. You know, I once was lost, but now I was found. You know, and God wants you to have that confidence, not only about your past, but about your future. Let me ask you this. Have you become bitter? Have you drunk the bitter waters and have they filled your heart? And now you're living with dread disappointment with God, always questioning Him. 
because your heart is full of bitter waters. Let me just say, it's not over for you because God, through the cross of Christ, can cast his mercy onto your heart and he can change your bitter waters into fresh and living waters, streams of living waters that flow out of your innermost being. Are you paralyzed with fear? It's time for you to get to know something that Paul said. That you trust God with all that scares you. And I'm going to be honest. I'm, unfortunately, I'm the most honest pastor you'll ever hear from. Because I'll tell you the good news and I'll tell you the bad news. Um, you got to trust with God with everything that scares you. Even if they come to pass. I know you want to go to another church and find a church that says those things aren't going to happen to you. Well, then you're just going to be traveling from church to church. And then they're going to happen to you. And then you're going to lose your faith. Okay? But God wants you to trust Him with all that scares you, with your kids, with your marriage, with your money, with your retirement, with your body, with your fears about illnesses. Because even if they come to pass, He wants you to trust Him so much that you'll know that He will not waste you. He will not waste your children. He will not waste any experience that you have as you walk in relationship with Him. God is love. And God wants us to live as if we know that. Fathers, we enter into this precious moment with you. As we come and we receive communion, you remind us of the wood that was cast upon the waters of bitterness, of disappointment and of fear. The tree that was cast upon our failures and all the things that went wrong in our lives. And you're here to change the waters within us. That we may have springs of living water. And that those springs may spring up to eternal salvation for the lives of other people. So Father, today I give you my doubts. Father, I give you my disappointments. I give you my fears. The Lord God, that you will not abandon one of us. That you will not forsake us. You will not leave us. And that you are here. And as Moses cried out to the Lord, you brought hope to the waters. So God, today, we ask you for that hope. Fill us with what Paul knew. That we too can be confident in the sufficiency of Christ in our lives. Let me invite you to this moment of communion. Maybe it's a moment of worship for you. Maybe it's a time you, you take one of the items of dread, and you write it on a piece of paper, and you pin it to that cross, and that you begin to believe that God can work in your past, your present, and your future. We thank you, God.